0: Hi and welcome to the Road to Repeal podcast. My name is Emma and I'm one of the team behind the show. These podcasts are made by some folks who have been involved in the YES campaign to help you think through some of the difficult aspects of this debate. In the first episode, Explaining the Eighth, we looked at where the amendment came from. In today's show we are going to look at precisely how it affects women. The idea for this episode came when the team here, which includes both men and women, were discussing potential content. Vicky, one of the team who you're going to hear from soon, mentioned in passing that she's going to emigrate if she is starting a family. This surprised most of us around the table, but as Vicky was explaining why she would take what seems like a drastic measure, it became obvious we had to make an episode on this issue. So we've interviewed Dr. Mary Favier from a group called Doctors for Choice. You might know Mary, she was on the Late Late Show a few weeks ago. But first let's go back to that conversation where it all started with Vicky, who herself is a doctor in a hospital. With professional experience of the potential implications for pregnant women in Ireland, Vicky expressed some of the concerns she would have about giving birth in Ireland.
1: Yeah, so I know it seems like it's uh, maybe a drastic or extreme measure, but it's a view that myself and, and a lot of my classmates from my medical school who are currently doctors also have about being pregnant in Ireland. And I suppose from clinical practice, I know how limiting the Eighth Amendment is from simple investigations onwards. And I I see the specific limitations that occur when someone is pregnant and I would be very concerned that I wouldn't be able to make the right decision about my own health care, my own long term health and indeed my life if I was pregnant in Ireland at the moment under the Eighth Amendment. I think there's a whole host of ways that the Eighth Amendment really impacts on your ability to make the right decision for you. And I suppose one of my greatest fears would be that in a really wanted pregnancy that I was really excited about, that I was to have a miscarriage, that I could feel my heart rate going up, I could see my blood pressure going down, knowing I was getting sicker and sicker with the obstetrician at the end of the bed looking at me saying you're not about to die yet, you're not sick enough yet, we have to wait until your organs are failing to intervene and I think that's a risk that I'm not willing to take. My life is very precious to me, it's precious to my family. I may have other children at the time and certainly I think that the safest thing for me would be actually to leave and it's certainly not something that I want to do but I feel for my own health and safety it's something that I have to do. After hearing Vicky's
0: views, we decided to go talk to Mary Favier and hear her opinion on the potential impact of the Eighth Amendment for pregnant women in Ireland. Mary began by explaining how very few people really realise how the Eighth affects women and how often women themselves do not realise the extent to which their healthcare is impacted by the Eighth Amendment.
2: Well, I'm a general practitioner in Cork and have been for more than 20 years. And uh, so I would see many, many antenatal you know, women who are pre- in early pregnancy come in to me. Uh, and with the vast majority of women attending we, often happy to be pregnant, but not always, they have no idea that the eighth is they often didn 't even know what the eighth amendment was they didn't wouldn 't have any idea how it might impact their lives and even the many medical procedures women might have had before they became pregnant they wouldn 't realize that the eighth was ticking over in the background without them realizing it so for instance. Any girl, woman of reproductive age, which is generally taken as 15 through 45, but it's obviously younger and older, is is affected by the eighth. And that's because as soon as a a woman is pregnant uh, or any possibility of pregnancy, which which means then anybody who's fertile, there is a possibility that there's a pregnancy, there's there's the fetus to consider, and the Eighth Amendment kicks in. So no matter what procedure I'm undertaking or any other doctors undertaking on a woman of childbearing age, a check is always done to see if she's pregnant. So you go for a chest x-ray as a man, you just have a chest x-ray. If you have a chest x-ray as a a girl or woman, you have a pregnancy test first, unless you can prove that you're not pregnant, i.e. in the very first week of your cycle. So it doesn't matter what it is, you can have your tonsils out or your toenails done and you'll have a pregnancy test done. for many women, they're actually glad to have the pregnancy test done because if they were pregnant they might defer the procedure and they might be happy to be pregnant. But the difficulty is once you have a pregnancy test done and if it's positive, you this woman with a positive result now no longer has any rights to control what medical treatment she receives. There will be a blank no and that's the impact of the eighth.
0: Mary then discussed the many different reasons that a woman might seek a termination.
2: Women in Ireland need terminations uh, and need to end pregnancies for all types of reasons at all types of different stages in their lives. And because pregnancies mean different things to different women at different times. So the 14 year old or the 18 year old whose contraception has failed, and it does, and the failure rates of the pill are 1 in 10 in a year of youth, they have a a totally different expectation of being pregnant and their futures. So for for an 18-year-old whose contraception has failed, it's potentially very traumatic and really quite devastating to their future prospects to have a pregnancy, but they know that they could potentially have another one in the future because abortion doesn't affect your future fertility. So that's one set of decisions. On the other hand, you take, say, a 46-year-old woman who has two children already and is now faced with another pregnancy that she hadn't planned, that's a totally different set of decisions because she has two already that she has to focus on. And I've had a patient who had two children already of nine and seven who both had significant disabilities. And her difficulty there was how is she going to continue to provide a high standard of care to these existing two children and what type of a life would she be bringing a future child into? So that they're, they're the various reasons people have abortions and they're of course entirely personal to the women themselves. And all as a doctor you can do is help them explore those decisions and come to what, what is the right one for them without with, without bias or pressure. And unfortunately, for, for you know, and medically, so much of that is done in silence and in secrecy because there's you know, women feel they can't go to doctors and can't talk about it. So, I've seen many, many women seeking abortion, with, and every single one of them has a different reason because only she can know the circumstances she's in, and that's why we need to respect women's decisions to, to, to decide for themselves.
0: In the last episode, we discussed that while the Eighth Amendment is designed to prevent abortions. In reality, it makes abortions more dangerous. Mary spoke about this by talking us through how the eighth poses considerable risks for pregnant women in Ireland, including health risks and the possibility of a criminal prosecution.
2: Okay, well, the first thing is abortion is common. And between seven and 9,000 Irish women have abortions every year. And they're estimates, but it's thought to be accurate. And it's variously estimated that more than 150,000 Irish women have had abortions. Between 1 in 10 and 1 in 15 Irish women of reproductive age have had an abortion, so they're walking around everywhere and they're all criminalised because it's a crime.
0: Mary also referenced the fact that the Eighth Amendment legally prevents doctors from being able to provide any advice around accessing abortion services.
2: First of all, if a woman has a pregnancy that's un- unwanted, she, the first tightrope she has to walk if she wants to seek medical advice is how do I choose a doctor? How do I decide on a doctor who I can they have a reasonable expectation will be open-minded about this and that's very difficult and it's one of the chilling effects of the 8th that women effectively for safety have to presume that no doctor will help them and they do almost everything in secret. Even, even my own patients with my own established history of speaking out on this subject will sometimes come into me wary and unsure in case they, they, they feel they'll get judgment. So that's a big hurdle for women and it's the commonest reason women don't seek medical attention because they can't trust it, which is appalling. And is it's an indictment of the AIDS, but it's also an indictment of doctors and how we've handled this whole area. But then if the woman does attend and comes in to me, And I'm open about it and I I will say to her, look, have you thought about your options? What what are you thinking at the moment? Where's your head at? And then that opens up a discussion about what she may or may want to do. But if one of the options she says is that she wants to end the pregnancy, at some stage I will have to say to her, you need to understand that I can't help you with that. And I can't help her because of the Eighth Amendment. She's allowed to seek information, but I'm not allowed to give her information. I'm not allowed to give her referral, phone numbers. I'm not allowed to write a referral letter. I'm not allowed to give her addresses. Um, We get around some of it by uh, giving people copies of their notes, so it's not actually a technical referral letter. And sometimes with young, vulnerable ones... If they have, I'll, I'll, I'll push the computer screen to them and say, look it up there yourself. And if you need a phone, here's the surgery phone. You can use that. Anything to, to try and facilitate them without actually breaking the law. And the law is the eighth. And that is such bad medical care. And sometimes these young ones are really bewildered. But sometimes they're older women who just say, yes, I get a doctor you can't help but do you think I should do this or do you think I should do that in terms of medical decision making and I can't even give them appropriate medical advice in terms of whether they should have a surgical procedure which will require travel or take medication abortion which requires ordering it over the internet and that's really where the eighth comes in and why it needs to be changed.
0: Given that the 8th Amendment forces women to travel or to access unsupervised medical abortions Mary outlined how women are left vulnerable because of their reluctance to seek aftercare support.
2: So firstly, abortion itself is a safe procedure. What makes an abortion? There's two elements that can make an abortion unsafe. First of all, if the actual method is unsafe, and, but in the UK with surgical abortion, the, the methods are safe. Or in the case of medication abortion, that method is safe. So unsafe methods would be women taking poisons and pesticides and using coat hangers. That's an unsafe method. Or the other thing is where the the context of where the, how the abortion is being undertaken is is unsafe, and that's without medical support. So in this in Ireland we have women taking medication from the internet without health support to one that that's the appropriate decision for them because there's some health conditions where you shouldn't take it, and then the help afterwards. So we have Irish women, for instance, going to the UK and Holland, undertaking a safe procedure, but then effectively being abandoned afterwards. For instance, they're given antibiotics routinely, Irish women are, because of their travel uh, and you know, because they know they're coming away back to Ireland and they know they often don't seek medical care. So I've had things as simple as patients coming into me I'm saying, okay, they gave you antibiotics, do you know the name of them? And they don't know the name of them. And how can they know? Because they're not doctors, they're not health providers. And we should know. They should have notes. They should have, we should have correspondence. I should be able to contact them. They should be able to contact me The biggest impact of the 8th really is that women come home with an absolute presumption unless they're really in serious trouble, they won't seek help because they're afraid they'll they'll again meet this, this abortion stigma and prejudice in a medical environment in hospitals, and unfortunately they do. And one of the ironies of it is... Many Irish women have had very bad experiences going into Accident and emergency departments. But the, the, the doctors and nurses who treat them the best and are the most open are those who are non-national, as they're known in hospital. Those doctors and nurses who aren't Irish. And I think that's an, a, an interesting statement of cultural attitudes where doctors and nurses, for instance, come from the Indian subcontinent and accept that abortion is part of health care. And are really kind and empathetic to Irish women. So when they do present, they're often much, much worse than they need to be, because as you know, with so much medical care, sometimes what you need is just advice as to whether you need to seek medical care. You know, so you might ring the nurse or you ring the practice and say, I don't know if I need to be seen, but this is my, the complication. So the procedures themselves are the same, but there's a known complication rate, for instance, in surgical abortion. And surgical abortion refers to where an instrument is used and and the pregnancy is ended usually but with a small syringe of suction. And, but bleeding is a known complication. Infection is a known complication. About one or two out of every hundred women. And what happens to those women is it starts, it's not too bad, they have a little bit of a temperature, they might have a bit of bleeding, but they hold on and they hold on and they hold on and trying to avoid going to the doctor, hoping they'll get better. And sometimes you've catastrophic consequences. And similarly then with medication abortion, which is where you take medicines to end a pregnancy, all bought illegally now on the internet, but bought quite easily because it's so much cheaper at about 90 euros as opposed to eight, 900 going to the UK. Though you sometimes have women, even though the service is very good and the internet service, women on web and women helping women are very good. And they have a checklist that you need to fill, fulfill and, and, and tick off that you're okay to take it. Some women are so desperate that they ignore the checklist and they just tick yes to all the boxes. And even though they might have health conditions that say they shouldn't take it. And then they run into trouble and they know they may run into trouble but they're desperate enough. So the vast majority of those women present to hospitals and pretend that they never took any medication, that it's a miscarriage they're having. That is not the worst idea because the hospital can't know either way but it's not good medicine just in case there was an issue with with it and they're all the types of desperate measures women go to and so you've got a, a woman who's potentially quite ill, but her head is spinning with all the stuff that she must micromanage, like she was a, a character in a bad detective story where she's trying to keep her you know, story straight while she's lying. And I think it's really, really stressful, and it's, it's unnecessary. And we'll have a lower complication rate if we provide the service in Ireland, but we'll definitely have less complications and less stress once these problems are dealt with quickly and, and appropriately.
0: Doctors in Ireland are often presented with difficult situations because of the Eighth Amendment. To conclude, we asked Mary what a repeal of the Eighth would mean to her.
2: For me as a GP, repeal of the Eighth would mean that I could provide better medical care. It would really mean that I could be a better doctor because I could consider all a woman's options. I could give her non-directive information that was complete and I could support her through all her decision making. Whereas now I have to close the file and say... I'm really sorry but I can't help you. I have to say I know you're upset. I'll send you a text on the way but there's no more I can do. And that's not okay and that for me that would end and I would feel yes I can actually do a better job. And I think it it applies then in a, in a wider sense to Irish society. I think we would shake off one of the last shackles of our you know socially conservative regressive attitude to women and women's reproductive health and we're changing fast as a society and it's generally a very good thing and this is just one of the ones that's dragging us back and I think we'd, we'd be proud of Irish people if we did it and because we, we Irish people are generally really good about being caring and compassionate but this is the one we've decided to turn a blind eye to and I think no more and it's time that Irish people want to embrace it and I think they want to step up internationally and be seen to be a modern civilized society and not one of the very few countries left with most regressive abortion laws and many many countries internationally are looking what's happening in Ireland at the moment and it's an example where Irish people can do the right thing.
0: I would like to thank Mary for giving us an in-depth insight into the medical and legal difficulties that women and doctors in Ireland face as a result of the Eighth Amendment. Later this week, we will be speaking to Richie Sadler and former Donegal footballer and All-Ireland medal winner Eamon McGee. If you enjoy this podcast and find it useful, please share it on Facebook, Twitter and subscribe in iTunes. Every vote in the upcoming referendum counts. We know there are lots of people who are still undecided and if you think this podcast would help make up their mind, please share it with them.